morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 and 17 to 23. Yes, you may stand. Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, <clears throat> in the boat with their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Um, sorry, I forget the phrase. <laughs> Thanks be to God. poem for this morning comes from Walter Brueggemann's book, Odd to Heaven, Rooted in Earth. And this is entitled, A Hard, Deep Call to Obedience. You are the God who makes extravagant promises. We relish your great promises of fidelity and presence and solidarity, and we exude in them only to find out, only too late, that your promise always comes in the midst of a hard, deep call to obedience. You are the God who calls people like us and the long list of mothers and fathers before us who trusted the promise enough to keep the call. So we give thanks that you are a calling God who calls us to dangerous new places. We pray enough of your grace and mercy among us that we may be among those who believe your promises enough to respond to your call. We pray that you who embodied the promise and enacted your call through Jesus will be with us. Because I wonder a lot, I very often wonder what it was about the presence of Jesus that he would say to someone, follow me, and people would just do it. Okay, I'll follow you. I'm a little more skeptical, and I'm not 100% sure that if somebody came up to me on a beach and said, put down your nets and follow me, that I'd say, oh, all right. I've often wondered 
what Zebedee had to say when his sons packed up and walked away. Do you ever think about that? Anybody else ever wonder about these things? I do all the time. My own call was a little bit weird because I figured I could bargain. Anybody else ever done that with God? Bargain a little bit? I'll do this and then that will fulfill what you want me to do and then I don't have to do that other thing because that's too hard. I figured if I was working in social services that would make God happy and I wouldn't have to do the whole seminary thing. I figured that having two siblings who had degrees in Christian mission or whatever, my oldest sister had a degree in Christian ed and my next sister has an MDiv, so I figured that that was enough in one family, we'd done our bit. I didn't have to listen to that. And even when I went to seminary, I had no intention of becoming a pastor. None. Worked really well, don't you know? <laughs> but the thing is that I've learned that if God is calling you to something, you will end up doing that something one way or another because God is persistent. God will continue to push until you do what you're being asked to do. Now my question for you is what do you think that God is calling you as a congregation to do next? There's been some discussion about what do you do next? What happens next? How do we do something? Am I going to give you a list? Well, no, not really. I'm not planning on laying out a plan for you because this is not my church. This is not a place where I have deep roots. This isn't a place that means as much to me as it means to you. Yes, I have come to love you dearly and I cherish the relationships that have formed in my time here. And I'm hoping that many of those relationships will continue after I leave. But the reality is this is your church. To that end, there will be several meetings. Norm and I are going to sort of divide you up. And we are going to meet with you to talk to you about what are your dreams, your hopes, what is it you want this church to become? What do you see as your place in this community? How are you going to grow, like it says over your door, how are you going to grow with God? It's my firm conviction that God is not done with you yet. God still has work for you to do in this place. So we're going to meet, I think we will start with nests. Now right now I know of three nests. I don't think that there are others that are functioning, but there might be. And if I don't know, somebody needs to let me know. We're also going to meet with groups 
that act as small groups. For example, EP is its own small group. The choir is its own small group. Prayer Messengers is for sure its own small group. So those people can meet to talk about what it is they see as their role in moving the church forward. Where do you hear God calling you? And what is it that God wants you to do? For those of you who aren't involved in a small group, we'll set up little meetings for you. We're going to do this as conveniently as possible. We'll do things during the day. We'll do things in the evening. And I suppose we will follow the Methodist rule that wherever two or three Methodists are gathered, there must be food. So we'll have, cookie <laughs> we'll have cookies or something. But seriously, it's important that your voice be heard. It's important that we know what it is that you want to see this church become or where you want to see the church go next. Sometimes people think that the pastor can do it all. Sometimes you think that the pastor has more hours in the day than you do or more days in the week than you do. And I've been lobbying for an extra day in the week that doesn't have anything on the calendar. It's, you know, it sort of doesn't appear on the calendar, so it's just an extra day. God has not granted that. But I do think that you are right now positioned in a very unique place that the menu of things that you could do is a very long list. You are in a place right now where you could do a multitude of things, but you can't do everything. And when I look at the people who are sitting in front of me, or behind me, most of us are of an age that we don't have as much energy as we had maybe 25 or 30 years ago. And so some of our choices are limited by the fact that we don't have the resource of human bodies to do things. That doesn't mean we throw up our hands and say we're not going to do anything. It means we find what we can do and do it. And if the ministry of this church needs to change, and I know that that's a four-letter word, but if the ministry of this church needs to change from a ministry to children to a ministry to seniors, then so be it. That's a value of, you know, it's a valuable ministry. It's a very valuable ministry. What I find interesting about Jesus' call of his disciples is that he didn't tell them what they were going to do. He didn't say, give me your resume and then I will read through that and see if you are qualified to do what I'm asking you to do. He told his disciples that we were going to travel around and tell people the good news. 
We're going to go and share what we know about God. Our culture has told us that we don't want to talk about God to anyone because we don't want to offend anybody. You can believe whatever you want, but I'm going to keep my beliefs completely and totally private. Well, the news for you, my friends, is that your faith is personal. It is not private. It's a personal faith that needs to be shared. And if you're not willing to share it, then what are you keeping it for? Is it growing in you when you're not sharing anything? We grow the most when we share our story. When we share the things that have shown us where God has been present in our lives. And you really don't have to pick and choose where those places are when you're telling your story because most people will read your sincerity rather than be offended by what you have to say. We have a whole lot, two generations, my children and their children, that are really kind of fumbling through life without knowing what faith can mean. I don't worry about them as much today as I probably will in another few years. I worry a great deal about how my children are going to deal with my death because they won't even talk about it to me. And they act like this is the worst thing that could happen. In my very first appointment, there was a young woman the same age as my daughter that I became very, very close to. And four years ago, Tara called me and told me that she was going on hospice because she had uterine cancer. And I went to visit her, and I said, okay, Tara, how are you feeling about all of this? And she said, well, there's a big piece of me that worries about my children, that I'm not going to see them graduate from high school or get married or go to college or any of those things. She said, but on the other hand, I feel like I'm packing to go to Disneyland. I'm going to get to see Jesus. And she was so excited about that that just sharing that with you makes me want to cry. Well, Tara died three days before Christmas. And I presided at her funeral. And I had to share that story of how she was excited to be going to meet Jesus. I don't think my children have that same understanding of an afterlife. I don't think they believe enough to believe that dying isn't the worst thing that could happen. We are at a point where if we choose not to share our faith, 
at its deepest level, we are doomed to see the church die. The church die a very painful death. And who then will carry on the story? Who will tell our little kids about the joy of knowing Jesus? Not knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. I know I spend way too much time in books. I know that it is, well, it's not a bad addiction, but it's still an addiction. I spend more time in books than most people even think about. But I really believe that for me, I can learn from what I read, but it, I am compelled to share what I read. So when I tell the kids that I'm reading this book about silence, they might think I'm nuts. And that's okay, because it's probably true. But the thing is that it might plant a seed that being quiet isn't a bad thing. Right now I'm having kind of a love affair with Richard Rohr. I've read more of Rohr's books than I even knew were out there. But what I'm finding is that Rohr feeds my spirit. And even at my advanced age, my spirit needs to be fed. My prayer for you is that you will take seriously meeting with your peers, your colleagues, your friends, your family in Christ to talk about where you want to go next, what you want to do, how do you want to live your story as a congregation, how do you want to impact this community with the love of Christ that lives in each of you. So I ask you, when the time comes, you answer the call to attend the meeting with as much gratitude for what the church has given you as you can muster to be sure that the church will be there for the next people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.